Violence is born out of ignorance. It's an ignorance that does not care to understand another individual. Without empathy or understanding, it's not possible to reconcile with someone who is different from you. The truth is, everybody is different from you. And if you don't take the time to understand them, if you don't try to understand them, well, it is easy, it is easier to get upset with somebody. And if those differences are stark, like political parties, if you don't engage them with empathy and, and a desire to understand them, you can easily be tempted to sin, sinful anger. I want to talk about that in today's podcast. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. The title of this podcast is Engagement Without Understanding Leads to Violence. Isn't that the way it always is when we get in arguments? And we don't have to be talking about violence in the most hyperbolic sense that we see acted out in our culture today. We can, or I can be talking about the anger that you have with someone who's close to you, maybe your spouse or a child or a child with a parent or someone within your local church. But whenever we get sinfully angry with other people, you can always be assured that there is a lack of understanding somewhere involved. You're not omniscient, neither am I. And so we have to say that we don't understand everything. And if we are not careful in how we engage, engage with a desire to understand fully the situation. And if you don't do that, you can respond sinfully. If you would like to talk to me, I would love to talk with you. We have free forums that are available for anyone. All of you who are listening to this podcast if you're listening to the podcast, you're able to access the internet. And if you can get on the internet, you can access us. We have free community forums where you can get your username and password and make sure, as always, that you are logged in. And after you logged in, after you log in, you can ask whatever question that you like. Those of you who support our ministry, thank you very much. You can go to our private forum and ask your questions there, and we'll be glad to serve you. We are an interactive ministry, and I know that every podcast that I do does not perfectly map over whatever your situation may be. You are a unique person. You can take some ideas out of these podcasts and and use them, but I seriously doubt that they perfectly fit, and therefore you might have questions. Hey, well, what about this angle? My situation is like this. Thanks for those tips, but can you speak specifically into the uniqueness of my situation? We would love to do that. You don't have to use your name. You can call yourself Roadrunner or Daffy Duck or whatever you want to call yourself, that's not important. What's important is that you get the help that you're looking for, and we'll be more than glad to provide that with you, uh, for you. Now, if you do want to read the article, please, again, the title of it is Engagement Without Understanding Leads to Violence, and leads to violence, and I would love for you to read it. It's only about a thousand words. I think you can do that, and you can also share it with a friend. Before I get into it, I want to share 
uh, something that we have been talking about within our staff over the past few days, and that is our Mastermind program. Our Mastermind program is a training program for leaders, and it is important that you understand that. I was coaching a gentleman today in Texas, and He's building a business. It has it's not a ministry of sorts like biblical counseling or anything like that. It is a, a a business that he is building, but because businesses are businesses, he wanted to get some tips and ideas on the fundamentals of building a business. And one of the things that I do is I provide coaching to people. Uh, entrepreneurs who are trying to go into their business, whatever it may be. And so we talked for a couple of hours today. But one of the things that he told me, he said, I looked into your mastermind program and he said, you talked me out of it. And I, I, I was thankful. I laughed, and, uh, but I was grateful that he's not going to take it, that I actually talked somebody out of it. And that's one of the things that you'll read if you get on our mastermind page. You'll realize quickly that I spend a lot of time trying to talk people out of taking our program because I want to be honest with people. I'm not that person who just wants to make the sale. That's that's not my deal. I want the right kind of people. And so I try to communicate as clearly and as frankly as possible because I don't want someone to get in the program and realize, you know, this is really not for me. It's too hard. It takes up too much time. It's not a good fit for me, whatever it may be, whatever the deal may be with you. And so I want to be clear. I believe that if I can talk you out of it, then you shouldn't be in it in the first place. And if you really believe you should be in it, I won't be able to talk you out of it. So therefore, I don't make it easy for you to get in. But the kind of person that we're looking for in this ministry are leaders, people who have decided that they are leaders or they want to be leaders and they want to move on into some kind of leadership role in their local church or their community, and they want to be trained in discipleship, which is a key component to help them to get to where they believe God is leading them. What I I'm not looking for are counselees, people with troubled marriages who are just looking for some discipleship help, uh, the individual that just wants to grow in Christ but not really a leader type. There are all sorts of programs that you can plug yourself into to get the help that you need, including counseling. But I'm not looking for those types of people in this program. Uh, the criteria is very narrow, and the kind of person that we're looking for is whether well, they fit within this type criteria, that they are already in ministry, that they're already leading, or they are about to. For example, John uh, joined our mastermind program. His church was in process of making him an elder at his local church, and he wanted to uh, grow in the area of discipleship. He's a perfect fit. His wife, Kathy, is at this point in her life where she wants to grow in the area of helping ladies to mature in Christ, and so she wants to be trained. That's a leadership role. We have Chris, who graduated from our program. She wants to, wanted to be in Christian ministry, and she is. Brandy, another graduate from our program, wanted to do the same thing, and she is doing that. We have Chad who enrolled in our program. 
he uh, is in the military and is about to start his second life in a few years and feels uh, this nudge from the Lord to beef up in this area of discipleship, not knowing exactly where God is leading him, but he believes he needs to grow in this area, and he has this leadership gifting, even though uh, the role is not defined for him yet. And so it can be somewhat vague like that, like for Chad, it can be somewhat definitive for others who really know they're going to get in ministry, but there is, there are a few things that bleed through all of these people is they do have leadership potential. They've already been in leadership roles to varying capacities, and they want to grow, and it's not primarily... Uh, they wouldn't be what you would categorize as counselees, people with marriage problems and people that, you know, working through personal issues and they see this as a high-octane training opportunity. That's not for you. Now, I am not saying that any of these individuals <laughs> don't have problems. <laughs> They're like me. They haven't reached that level of perfection uh, I have spent time with these people in various capacities, and they would affirm that they have, they have not reached perfection, uh, but they're not in the context of what I'm talking about. Counselees are really struggling in their personal life, really struggling with various issues or struggling in their marriage, and they want to use the Mastermind program as a, as a counseling context. It is not for that, and you will not last. You will not make it. So if you want to grow in the area of discipleship and you believe there may be a nudge from the Lord or you're already clear on that, that he wants you to be leading people, helping people, and you have worked through a lot of your own junk, even though you're not perfect yet, then please, by all means, uh, consider our mastermind program. There's a page on our site that will walk you through that. And I would love for you to read it, listen to all the podcasts there, watch the video or two. And after you do all of that, then contact me and, and let me know. This is important. It's important to me and it needs to be important to you. We don't want to go through this process and, and you not make it. We have a lot of people that don't. Uh, some people buy into the program and never do anything. That's the truth. They never do anything. And I don't quite understand it. It's challenging or as clear as we try to make it about getting in, and then there are many who get in and stop, and they just don't finish. And I don't want to waste your time, neither do I want to waste mine. I'm looking for a few good men and a few good women, and if you believe that God has called you in this area of discipleship or biblical counseling, if you want to call it that, that's fine. And you want to be trained up because you are a leader. That leader quality has been affirmed. Other people have already said to you that, hey, you have a leadership gift. You've heard this before. If you've never heard that, then maybe you want to think twice. But this is an intense training program, and it is absolutely transformative. Every person without exception has said that, that it is something that uh, it's critical for the Christian experience, but again, we're looking for leaders. If you want to talk specifically about our Mastermind program, before you talk to me, you read everything on that page and listen to the podcast. And if you still have questions, 
then let's talk. I'm not going to turn you away. By the grace of God, we don't turn anybody away. We will interact with you until Jesus comes back or until Jesus takes us home, takes me home. I will interact with you. So jump on our website and, and let's get talking after you consume everything on the Mastermind page. So I hope that answers that question. And I'm so encouraged that I talked somebody out of it, my new friend in Texas. Uh, if you want some counseling help, we provide that. If you want other types of help uh, that's not as intensive as the, as the Mastermind program, well, I have millions of words for you. I have well over 200 videos, getting close to 300 videos now. We have a lot of resources for you, and you can find that in our sanctification center that we have shoved up in cyberspace to make it available for you. So go to rickthomas.net. You can get the help that you need. It just might not be right for you to take our mastermind program. Let me talk a little bit about engagement without understanding uh, leads to violence. I'm going to do a little reflection here. In 2016, my family and I, uh, we did a northeast uh, travel uh, trip up the northeast uh, of the United States uh, from North Carolina all the way up to Maine. And during that visit, we stopped in Washington, D.C. for a few days. It was a perfect time for my children as they were teenagers and approaching teenagers at the time. And, of course, that's a good time to uh, talk about history. They can remember it, and they have a lot of questions, and they got to see things they've never seen before as far as the history of our of our country. But one of the things that caught my attention as we were touring the many monuments in central D.C., now, if you haven't been to D.C. and you're able to go, I highly recommend it. And if you want to talk about that, you know, some tips and tricks about it, I'd be glad to uh, chat with you about that as well. Get on our forum and just ask. Uh, I've, I've been a few times, and this is the first time for my children. I love D.C. I love being there. I love American history. But as we were touring this time, one of the things that I noticed was a ubiquitous disrespect that the youngsters had around the monuments. Now, there are monuments everywhere, and, and this is, which is what ubiquitous means, by the way, but there were monuments everywhere, and it didn't matter where we went. Uh, there were young people around these monuments, and they were so disrespectful, like the Vietnam Memorial. I can't go to the wall. It's hard for me to go to the Vietnam Memorial, that wall there, and look at it and look at the names and uh, and keep from crying. I wasn't in the Vietnam War, but... I was affected by it. I was living during that time, and I was old enough to remember relatives and friends who were drafted to go to the Vietnam War and, and people who lost their lives. And so when I stand there and look at that wall, I like to touch the names. And one of the things you'll see is people will bring a piece of paper and a pencil, and they will uh, mark over the—they'll place the paper on, the name, on a name, and then they will— uh, color it with their uh, lead pencil to where it shows up on the paper. And you see a lot of that and other things as well. And it's just a sobering thing. Uh, it's a tearful thing. Uh, it's reflective. But with these young people, they were talkative. They were immature. They were joking around. They were not sobered at all by the significance of these marble and steel reminders of, of why we are a great country. 
at the Lincoln, Lincoln Memorial, there's a sign that reads, Quiet, please. They want us to enter, to walk up those steps and uh, under that uh, awning there and where Lincoln, the marble statue of Lincoln sitting there. And they just want us to be quiet and observe, take pictures and and just reflect. And there's a lot to read there as there are with all the monuments. Well, needless to say, they, were, they weren't quiet at all. Now, the, the thing that I found interesting is that while we were on that trip, uh, a couple of weeks later, maybe, we were touring the Freedom Tower in New York City as we spent a few days in on Manhattan. And there are two memorials placed at the footprints of the Twin Towers. You remember, I mean, 9-11, I think we all know what that means. And on that day in 2001, September the 11th, when those planes flew into those two towers and and they fell to the ground, well, now there are two footprints where those towers were. There are deep holes uh, in the ground, and and then there's this uh, rim around it uh, that you can uh, just stand there and look inside. And one of the things that I noticed that was really odd is that the young people who were there at the Twin Towers, they were noticeably quieter. And we had just left D.C., and the, the people around the monuments in D.C. were, I mean, th- they were just rude and loud and disrespectful. But at New York City, it was different. The entire crowd was respectful and sad and reflective. And I thought about that, and I assume, I believe this to be true, that the reason that they were in New York City, respectful around the monument and not so in D.C., is because they either remembered that tragic day in 2001, or they're only a generation removed from that event. It's close to us. It's like it was just yesterday. It seemed as though World War I and World War II, the Korean War and the Vietnam War, they were facts from the history books, but not something that connected to the young person's life. The towers was a different experience. I suppose a few generations from now, the kids running around the Freedom Tower will be as disrespectful as they were in Washington. Now, here's the thing that I want you to guard your heart from as you listen to this. I can't wag all of my condemning fingers at them because the truth is I had a similar feeling when walking away from some of the Native American monuments. I wasn't as affected by the Native American monuments as I was affected by the war monuments, Korean War, Vietnam War. I'm not as familiar with their story, the Native American story, and I haven't lost what they lost, and I have not taken the time to enter into their suffering narrative. I have tried to think about that since then, and I can't help but shake my head and in sadness as I think about all that the Native Americans have lost. But I too could be like these young people who are running around the Vietnam Memorial untouched, unfazed by it. In Hebrews 13.3, it says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. We're in the body of Christ, and we should remember those who are suffering, who are in the body of Christ. And I realize that most of those people, I would imagine, in D.C., they, those young people that they 
they're not in the body of Christ, but they are a part of the human family that we're all made in the image of God. The truth is it was disheartening to see the disrespect among the youth in our country. And it was apparent to other people too. This is just not me monologuing about something that was unique to me. I was talking to a guy from Kentucky who was at the Korean War Monument, and he brought up the rudeness that he observed among the young people. This problem that I'm talking about has more ramifications that I want to consider, and I would love for you to consider it with me as, as well. Some of these youngsters will not care about my passion or my reverence for Christ. They will not respect me. In fact, that's already happening now. My story is not their story. My cause is not their cause. My Christ is not their Christ. And when my time of disrespect and persecution comes, there will be no sympathy because the Christian country that we used to live is becoming smaller and smaller in our collective rearview mirrors. I see the day coming. In fact, that day is already here, and you know it's here. The events these monuments represent are archaic to the millennial minds, and so is my religion. But here's the thing. Rather than bemoaning this dark truth, what it has done for me is I have been reinvigorated to practically respond to this problem that separates me from disinterested, angry people. We don't have to retaliate with sinful anger anger because they don't like us. They don't care for us. Recently, I was listening to a, a Christ mocker, a person who doesn't care for Jesus. And what he was talking about was race relations in our country. And the person who was interviewing him asked him what one thing a person could do to understand the frustration of black people. And the man answered, quote, talk to a black person. I thought his response was brilliant. Now, he went on to say, he said, don't try to teach or force your view on the person. Don't engage them merely for making your points. Just sit and listen to them. James kind of talked about this idea in 119, he said, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. What about if you found that black person, assuming that you are not black, and you just ask them, what is it like to be black? Enter into their story for empathy, for understanding purposes. His point astounded me. Maybe because I was thinking about some of these things and the total disrespect that these millennials had toward people of my era or a generation before my era who went to war. You know, it's easy to yell about the irony and the misdirection of Black Lives Matter. There's a lot of irony and there's most definitely a lot of misdirection there. It's tempting to be disgusted by the irrational anger that kills an innocent life through abortion. And to some degree, we should be offended. In some degree, we should be angry, righteously. But we need to be careful that if all we have are yelling points that we yell across the barricade, the truth is our yelling points aren't going to move either group toward reconciliation. The problem is, is that both sides are right to a degree and 
both sides are hell-bent on touting their percentage of rightness without considering that maybe the other group owns a few of those right percentage points. Bring it down another level, as I was saying earlier. Bring it down to your family, inside your home, inside your living room, inside your marriage. Almost always both sides are right. The husband is right. The wife is right. There are percentages of rightness. And sometimes we can be so hell-bent on touting our percentage of rightness that we don't consider that maybe our spouse has a few right percentage points as well. It does remind me of a married couple who have valid points, but neither one of them are willing to enter the narrative of the other person to understand their rightness. Somebody has to be more mature. Someone needs to step up and set aside their right logic for a moment while trying to understand the other person. Our culture is not willing to do that. And that's where you want to be careful. It's so easy to say, well, what about them? They don't do that. Well, that is true. And honestly, I'm, I'm not really expecting them to. That would be like Jesus decrying his culture, saying, well, they're not kind. They're not trying to do right. We want to be more mature than that. Christians are more mature than that, aren't you? One of the things I have been motivated to do is to talk to black people. Now, I've always engaged black people because I've always liked them. But in light of current cultural tensions, I've been more intrusive, even more intrusive than I have in the past in a personal way. Even while on this trip in 2016, I remember I met a kind black man in a coffee shop in Vermont. We chatted for 45 minutes. I don't think he knows the Lord. He, too, is from Texas. Maybe God's calling me to Texas. Later, when we were on Noah's Ark in Kentucky, I met a lovely black lady, and we had a helpful conversation. I was not pressing the black gentleman in Vermont or the lady on Noah's Ark. I wasn't pressing them to make my points. I was asking them about theirs. I was asking them specifically about them. I wanted to enter their story. It was not the time for me to teach or pontificate. I wanted to enter the narrative of their lives and learn about them. My dad was a hardcore bigot. He hated black people, and he was very clear on that matter, by the way. He was an ignorant man, which is at the core of all hate and racism, another form of hate. He didn't want to know black people. If all of your friends are monochromatic, you may have a problem. My dad had a problem. He lived an anti-gospel life. Jesus was famous for entering the narrative of people who were different from him. He understood them, which in some cases brought them to redemption. Other cases, it did not. But that was definitely my story. Jesus cared about me. His care, his kindness, his concern for me opened the way for for him to teach me something. The podcast I'm sharing with the article I'm sharing with you is titled Engagement Without Understanding. It leads to violence. Here's your call to action. A few things I would love for you to think about. What if you find a person who is different from you and you talk to them about their experience? What if you engage the gay person, the young person, the elderly? Find some, and I'm not talking about just black and white. Everything's not black and white, but just somebody who's different from you. 
I don't care if you who you hang out with, and I don't care if if everybody within your sphere is monochromatic. That doesn't bother me. We all do that. We all like our kind, and we're comfortable with our kind, and there shouldn't be a problem with that. It doesn't mean that you have to adopt somebody that's different from you, or you have to integrate every blooming thing in the world. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about engaging people who are different from you. Will you sit down with a black individual and talk to them what it's like to be black? If you're not if you're not white, will you speak to a white person? If you're a black person, will you come talk to me about what it's like to be white? Who is different from you? This is at the heart of the gospel. Will you enter their story? Will you listen to them? Remember, engagement without understanding, it leads to violence. We want to make sure that we understand. I'm not asking you to be like them. I'm not asking you to agree with them. I'm asking you to understand them. We can't invalidate people because uh, we disagree with them. Uh, There's more than likely, there's a 100% chance that you do not understand them accurately. You don't. I don't. I've never met a person that I've understood accurately. But the way that you take that barrier down is you step across that fence and you go and talk to them. You enter into their story. You don't want to be like these disrespectful teenagers in Washington, D.C. who have no connection to the monuments of our past. If you want to talk about this, I would love to talk with you. Jump on our website, rickthomas.net. Let's talk. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.